Hey everybody, welcome to the Free Ski Files, episode one. I'm your host, Nick Steers. And there you have it. That is the first ever intro. I don't know if this thing's going to be a huge, maybe it'll be a huge podcast, like 700 episodes or something, and there'll be a massive fan base. Everybody will be trying to listen back to the first ever intro. Dude, you got to hear this. It's the first ever intro. Like the comic book people trying to get their hands on Superman comic one. I don't know if we're going to, I have no expectations for this podcast. And by the way, before I get angry letters from people in the comic book world, I know that Superman's first appearance was actually Action Comics number one and not Superman one. So nice try. We have done probably a thousand percent more comic book content than I thought we would do already in this podcast. <laughs> this is a ski podcast. We're here to talk about ski content and in particular free ride skiing. That doesn't mean I'm going to shut the door on other content. I may have people from freestyle on here or even racers, but I got to be honest, I didn't even watch the X Games this year. I didn't see who did the best butter. <laughs> it was probably Henrik Harlow or somebody like that. I, I, I like watching the X Games. I just didn't get around to it this year. But I may have people from the park and pipe world in here as well. I'm not closing the door on anything. I'm open to bringing anybody on that's interesting and fun to talk to. But I've spent a good amount of years traveling the world competing in big mountain free ride skiing. That is my wheelhouse. And that is why my first guest for episode one... He's a biggie. He's the current world champion. The 2020 Freeride World Tour overall winner. He's an American. His name is Isaac Freeland. He's 25. And he did it in his first year on the tour. That's right. He was Rookie of the Year as well as being the overall winner. That is a stud, ladies and gentlemen. It was a pleasure to talk to him, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Without further ado, let's bring in Isaac Freeland. The champ is here. I think we're live. Isaac, are you there? Yep. Dude, we did it. We're on a podcast. <laughs> Two knucklehead skiers on a podcast together, folks. Don't hold yeah. any technical issues against us because we don't have a producer here and we are freestyling this thing. Dude, congrats. You're the champ of the world. How does it feel? Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Feels good. Um, I mean, as you can imagine, it's pretty amazing for me and, and for anyone, I guess. But um, I suppose we should address the elephant in the room here before we even get into that is that right now it's April 21st, 2020. And if anybody's listening to this five years down the road or something like that, I, I don't know if anybody will be. But uh, if, if they are, we should mention right off the top that we are in the midst of or I don't know if it's the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, but we are basically at home right now, socially isolated. And we have done this self-imposed quarantine around the world, really. People, the ski season kind of got cut short. What is the scene like where you are? And where are you right now? And what are, what are things like where you are? Yeah, I'm in Salt Lake. And things are pretty relaxed compared to a lot of places especially since um, I was in Europe when things started shutting down over there and saw kind of those reactions. And then obviously the last event in Verbier got canceled um, due to this and we all got sent home. But um, we're still 
allowed to go outside and like recreate, you know, maintaining six feet distance between people. And uh, <laughs> so have you been skiing? The, the, break the news, dude. People are going to judge you. Have you been out skiing? Have you been out risking the, the medical system with your reckless backcountry? <laughs> Since I got back from Verbier, yeah, which is you have, over a month. touring? i skiing twice, yeah. So we've been, like, dialing it back a lot here. Um, each household takes a different car to the trailhead. And uh, we go up and, you know, we're not, like, skiing the gnarliest zones anymore. We're just cruising and make it back down and go home. And, yeah. Yeah, so it's mellow, right? It's mm -hmm. me mellow times right now. Yeah. So you go from being in Europe, you go from being in Japan and Europe, traveling the world, having basically a rocket ride of a season where you are putting your body on the line in these, these gnarly competitions and having all kinds of new experiences, traveling and things like that to coming home and having this come down of social isolation and being as mellow as possible. That's a pretty big dichotomy. Like, how are you handling that? It's a big change. It's been nice. Um, I definitely was happy to come home and just like relax at home for a little bit. I definitely came back and had a little bit of a media wave. And um, even though I was home trying to relax, I, I was pretty busy doing like blogs and uh, other podcasts and stuff. But uh, once that kind of settled down, I got uh, I was really allowed to chill and relax and re recoup mentally and from traveling and everything but um, how much how much had you traveled before this season like it's it's a quite a whirlwind to be going to japan going to europe and having all these these you know events being delayed and wondering about start times and things like that how much inter i know you traveled all over north america for the fwq but how much international travel had you done prior to this season um prior to the season i had skied in north america and south america once right that's it this was a lot of firsts this past year then yeah mm -hmm. you got to see japan you got to go to tokyo andorra like was there any place that stood out to you it was like man i can't believe i'm actually here um i mean japan something i've always heard about and we didn't get the best snow while we were there so uh yeah i was i was there. i was there at the same time i did the I did the three star, so I was in Hakuba oh, yeah. around the same time that you guys were. So, we were there was it was amazing that you guys were able to get an event pulled off there. Period. Yeah, yeah it was pretty low snow, but it happened. The fact that you made the tour and you made the jump from the FWQ, you know, we're watching. Everybody watches the Free Ride World Tour on the live streams, and we're all jealous. And but people, a lot of people don't realize how tough a jump that is. Like how gnarly the, the four-star world qualifiers are and how hard it is just to make it to the tour. They just assume, yeah, okay, so there's some guys on the world tour and let's see who wins. But just the fact that everybody's there, it really is kind of an all-star competition. What was, what was your take on that? Like, was, or, was there a big jump from the four-star to the tour and how hard was it just to get there? Um, going from four-stars to the tour is definitely a big change because of the visual inspection aspect. And because um, just being on the four star, you know, you've looked up to the FWT for however many years you've competed on it, if not longer. And uh, it's definitely just unreal to like finally get there and like hear and experience what, you know, what you've heard about it. 
Um, had you had you done a qualifier that was was visual inspection, or did you you just did North American qualifiers? I just did North American ones. I one time in Telluride, I did one on visual inspection because I just showed up late and didn't have time to on hill inspect. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that counts, right? That definitely counts. <laughs> it kind of counts. Still, dude, that's crazy. Like to be because the European riders, that's what they do. That's what an yeah. FWQ is in Europe. You do yeah. visual inspection. So it really is. I don't know. I mean, do you think it's a disadvantage to come in without having that experience or you just figure it out and go? I think it has its place. I don't think it's like a huge disadvantage, um, but it's definitely different. And if you've never like been out in the backcountry visually inspecting lines before and you just have ridden inbounds and like the FWQs, it might be a little harder. A lot of people doing the FWQs still ride backcountry and still like have some exposure to that visual inspection style of skiing. You mean we don't all just ski shitty tracked out venues? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's one of the biggest differences. I guess people don't realize that in, in, in the North American four stars, because we get on venue to do the inspection, you never get an untouched venue ever. So that's probably for a lot of athletes moving into the world tour, depending on what bib number you draw, you may have a fresh venue. Yeah. But also like skiing that worse snow or that tracked out snow is more technically challenging than just, you know, trying to shut down speed and icy crud is more difficult than, you know, a nice powder field. So you do gain like a little advantage in that way, I guess. Yeah. No, I agree for sure. Everybody would choose powder if they had the choice, right? Yeah, exactly. So you're on the tour, we're watching you, we're jealous, and you guys are traveling the world. And I don't know how much you paid attention to this, but I was paying, it was funny because every time an event would go off or there was a post about an event, people were getting mad. Like there was this thing where people were mad about the live stream. They wanted, they wanted, the, they wanted it to be live because there was a tape delay on the first two events. And yep. you guys were asked to keep secrets. How did, how did you manage to not spill the beans? And did you tell anybody? Like, did you tell your parents? Like, what, what, what was the process there? So that was an interesting little trial that we had. Um, we kind of had a couple of meetings about it and like, you know, trying to figure out how, you know, the tour wanted to, to show it, if they wanted to do it at all, um, how kind of they wanted to lay it out. And it, I think for what it was, it turned out decently well. The second one, I think, was definitely greatly improved upon. Um, but I, I didn't do like, I didn't get on the podium for those two events. So it's not like I was hiding some like big media secret i guess how did that process work like what did, did, in the riders meeting they said guys would you please not disclose the the, the results of the event or was there some sort of non-disclosure that you guys had to sign or how, how how did that process work it was it was just like verbal um yeah they told us not to share anything on media um i think a lot of us told like immediate like family members and close friends just because you know they're really curious about it but um well dude people people were people were good about it that's for sure yeah. like there was it was hard to get a scoop if you didn't even i i mean i had a, a bunch of friends on the tour as well and nobody was saying anything nobody was texting no people were keeping that secret so i guess 
uh, people and, did a good job for over just over a verbal contract. Yeah. And like, you know, we all want, we're all competing in the event. We want it to like come off as best as possible. So if we have to do something different to like try and, you know, improve the overall image of the tour, like we're down to try it. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, we're watching you. We're watching the live stream. We're watching the competitions and you do pretty well on Hakaba. Well, you do very well in Hakaba. You had a, I think your score was over 85 and then yeah. you have a good run in kicking horse, but the, the real kind of breakout, the, the trick heard around the world, if you want to call it that was the switch overflip at Andorra. Now yeah. I, I watched that happen. The internet was broken after that. And I said to myself, that's got to be a trick that this dude has on lock. I've never seen you do it before. I've never seen you do it in a competition before, that's for sure. But that must be one of your go-tos. Am I right in expecting that? Um, I mean, I don't know do, what you consider a go-to. Don't, don't say it was your first ever time doing it. Don't say it was your first ever time no. doing it. I, it was my first time doing it that season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think it was – well, I might have done some later on. It was one of the only ones I did last season, I think. Maybe the only one. But, um, yeah, I learned it with uh, George at Snowbird a couple years back. And I kind of just liked it because it just flows well for me. So keep it in my back pocket. That's, that is sick, man. Uh, that, that is <laughs> definitely one of those things that people on the tour are going to remember for a long time. And that kind of – it made me think, and this, this leads me into a question that I don't know if you've thought about, but is there a changing of the guard in the sense that – if you are a straight air skier, you know, an Ivan Malakoff or, or a Imar Navarro, one of these guys that's just an insanely talented skier, but their repertoire is usually skiing, greasing the, the, the hardest possible line with the biggest airs and just doing straight airs. Mm -hmm. are, are the chances of those guys winning the tour, are those days over now, do you think? Because it seems like you guys are doing those same lines at the same speed, picking the same features, but you're throwing tricks in the mix. I mean, they're definitely not over, but there has been a little shift in the tour. I mean, one of the judging categories is like, you know, style and energy, freestyle. And uh, if you're not bumping that score up by throwing a trick, then what else, the other stuff that you do is going to have to gonna be, you know, pretty significant. Yeah, for sure. So... You've done a season on the tour and you skied four out of five faces. You've skied all over the North American FWQ tour. Out of all those faces that you've competed on so far, what is the mo what would you call the most formidable face? Like the, the kind of the gnarliest, not necessarily the one that fits your style the best, but yeah. what would you say is like, this is the gnarliest free ride face that I've had a chance to compete on so far? Out of what I've done... Um... Fever Bruins top section was pretty intimidating. Yeah, you put a you put a three down right in the gnarliest part. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think out of the FWQs. Some of the FWQs were just gnarly because, like, I mean, I kind of press the beat scares me a little bit. It's just so rocky and steep and tight. Yeah, and high altitude too, right? It's hard to breathe in Crested Butte. <laughs> For me, I live at sea level, so <laughs> yeah. The the European FWQs have some savage faces as well. And I just, I asked that question because I'm always curious. You know, I, I know that the Bechtel Ross stands on its own, 
that's for sure. But sometimes some of those Euro FWQs, like the uh, Obergurgle, Huckgurgle face and the, the face that we did in, in Jasna in Slovakia, I competed there and that was a beautiful face as well. But I think the obvious answer is the Bechter Ross stands yeah. on its own. Like, how far did you get in your process of inspecting the back? Because I know you you basically arrived and then they canceled the event. Yeah. Did you did you already start thinking about a line on it? Had you looked at videos no. and kind of no? I yeah, I never saw it in person. I never skied in Verbier. Right. And I don't like picking lines off photos. I like picking lines in person and then inspecting them off photos. Yeah. Well, the snow conditions can change so drastically, right? Yeah. Yeah. Plus, you don't know if something's like 20 feet or 30 feet or twice the size yeah, of that. Yeah, but the, the problem is, is in visual inspection, you still don't really know, right? <laughs> like, visual, that, that was one of my biggest struggles with my first visual inspection events was that you can, you can make an assumption via binoculars that something is a certain size, but in, on, on an on-venue inspection, you can stand on it and you can really confirm that assumption. Whereas yeah. visual, it's like, oh shit, here we go. You're figuring it out as you're flying off it, right? Yeah, to an extent, because uh, on, like, face check day, we get forerunners. We can see people, like, skiing down through, like, the main guts of the face and can use that as reference. Yeah, that's a good point, for sure. You can compare a body, a body height to, uh, yeah. to the yeah. size of the feature. Yeah, that's a real good point. So you basically rolled into Verbier. You were told the event is canceled. Didn't even get up on a gondola or a chairlift. The resort was shut down at that time? Yep. Oh, yeah, we man. got in at night. We rolled <laughs> That's a bummer. The meeting. Got told it was canceled. Uh, partied that night. Left the next day. Man, so there's so there's something left. Like, cause I was gonna say you, you could basically walk away. You're undefeated on the world tour. You you have one season, one overall title. You could just walk away and say, "That's it. I'm done." <laughs> but yeah. do you do you feel like what, what is the plan from here? Are you going to go back on the tour and try to try to take the golden bib and defend it? Uh, I mean, I thought about this a lot recently. Um, and I thought about how I definitely want to make, I want to compete on the Bechter Ross because that's just such an iconic, you know, free riding face. And uh, I just wasn't sure how I wanted to do that. But uh, I think I'm going to go back for the full a full ride next year and yeah see see where that takes me so mean the alternative might have been that you could try to claim a world champions wild card perhaps perhaps or i could put it off a year and get a wild card for 2022 right now you took off a year from competing before didn't you yeah i've taken off two i think and and what do you think that does to you? Does that does that rest you up and get you fired back back up for it? And when you come back, you're better than ever. Do you think there's there's rust associated with that? Um, I definitely progress more on a season where I'm not competing, uh, simply just because I'm skiing more days, and right. I, and I'm I'm skiing more days, and I'm skiing longer days, and I'm focused more on my skiing and less on. Uh, like competing so the thought as it stands right now here april 2020 is that you will likely return for the entire tour yeah sick yeah that's good <laughs> breaking is that breaking news that's breaking news we just broke some news <laughs> on the podcast today 
yeah. 2020 world champ is coming back to defend the golden bib. Yeah, not many people know that. I don't think I've even told the tour that yet. <laughs> well, my well, we won't hold you to it on this podcast. Yeah. This is episode one, so I don't know how big the audience is going to be. So I, I don't think you're in, in, in any risk if you change your mind. But that's uh, I, I can't encourage you more. I enjoy watching you, as do many. So And it's like you said, the back remains undone. And for anybody who especially winning the title on the tour and not having had a chance to do it that that you might be the only one to ever make that claim i'm well that's probably not true they may have canceled verbier in the past due to snow conditions i guess i'm not sure well i don't think so i mean there's there's occasionally people who win it before uh the last event so they don't have to compete in it per se but most people usually do right what do you what would you say like I'm thinking to the from the FWQs from this past year and some of the youngsters that I'm thinking of the Cooper Bathgates yep. and the young guys coming up to the tour this coming year, Ray McDermott, who will be also likely learning visual inspection and going through all the trials and tribulations that you went through. Do you, what would you say to those guys? Do, do you have some sort of uh, secrets? Because you were wildly successful in your first year. What would you... Obviously, you're going to be competing against them, so don't give away too much. But what could you say to guys like that? Well, I don't know. Visual inspection is just uh, an art, something that you learn. I wouldn't take it too seriously. Like, um, I, I view my visual inspection lines as if I was skiing them in the backcountry. Same thing. Um, see what I like. See what goes. Is something going to slide? Drive an exit? plan if something breaks um obviously less likely because we have guides um you know making sure the venue is decently safe for us um what were, were you thinking like if you didn't obviously you didn't have to worry about it because you did really well pretty quickly too but if you did you have a backup plan where if your points weren't sitting at a certain amount you were going to go back and try to do some qualifiers or you were like this is my year on the tour whether I do well or whether I don't, I, I'm not going to worry about FWQs anymore uh, for the time being. Yeah, it was kind of the latter. Um, yeah. My, the last FWQ I did was in uh, Kirkwood uh, last year. And uh, that, was, that was my last event, whether I qualified for the tour or I didn't. So. Oh, no, no kidding. So if you didn't qualify for the tour... You were retired from free ride then. Yeah, that was that was it. Yeah. Holy shit, that's that's a story. So you the the, the pressure was on, the pressure was on. You said to yourself, you yeah, know what? Kind of the pressure I'm, was on. Because yeah. I was yeah, it was just yeah, it was I skied that last lap just to for fun, just to have yeah. Oh, because at that point, had you were you already qualified? No, I was. Um, I don't know. I was in like eighth or something. I think. But it was just, you know, the outcome of, you know, leaving the FWQ would happen either way. So I kind of just... Uh, you were tired of us, right? You wanted to get away from the... I wasn't tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. There's yeah, man. things about it. I just... Um, I get you. You had put your time but, in and this it was now or never kind of thing. And if it wasn't now, it was going to be never. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. 
who was one of your who was one of the guys that you looked up to on the tour that you thought, man, I can't wait to see this guy ski. I can't wait to talk to this guy and and pick his brain in terms of just competing on the free ride world tour in general. Was there anybody there that was, was one guy that you just couldn't wait to meet? Um, I mean, there's just like a lot, like so many. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was probably one of the most star studded years ever, right? Like yeah. It, it, yeah. you had, you had Marcus Eder at some events, you had Tanner Hall and you had Tim Durchie making his debut. Yep. It's, in, it's an insane field of some of the best skiers in the world period. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so packed, and I've like looked up to so many of those skiers, and um, I'm stoked to see the boys and girls coming up from the FWQs this year, and it's gonna be fun. Hopefully, Japan has better snow. Hopefully, Andorra has better snow. You know, you mentioned the girls. That's an interesting one because it seems like this this year in particular, the girls. The female ski category has stepped up to a level that we have never seen before. Like we're seeing yeah. tricks, we're seeing flips, we're seeing spins, uh, phenomenal free riding. In particular, the kicking horse event comes to mind. But what was that like from your perspective to see these ladies go out and, and just crush it this year? Yeah, it's been awesome. It's been so cool. And uh, free skiing with them and, you know, see them get inspired and like try and, you know, backflips and spins off like the same jumps that were throwing stuff just free skiing and did you watch uh our i'm thinking of this, this isn't actually the free ride world tour but our world qualifier veteran veronica paulson doing the corbett's cool of our competition did you see her backflip yeah mm-hmm. dude yeah. dude that is that is amazing you know it's just the level of of the game is stepping up and a lot of girls are contributing to that and I think probably the se- this coming season and the seasons after are going to be something to watch for sure. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's going to be great. It has it has been great this season, and Kicking Horse was like you said a great example of that. I mean, just like they crushed it pretty much harder than the guys on that event. It was it was great to see. Yeah, for sure. So, dude. Thank you very much for doing this. It was really a pleasure. You're you're an awesome uh, athlete and an awesome ambassador for free ride. And I'm I'm super stoked that you came on today. Yeah, thank you, man. And also stay safe. It's a weird time in the world right now. You can continue backcountry skiing. Nobody's going to shame you. Nobody's going to be mad. But <laughs> just uh, take care of yourself and uh, take care of those around you. And we can't wait to watch you this coming season. Yeah, thanks, man pleasure well there you have it folks what a good dude he is humble that's one thing i gotta say about a lot of people actually in the free ride world especially the ones that achieve at a level like that there's they're all humble i personally don't know how i'd be if i was a world champion (laughs) i think i might have a bit of an attitude but you never know thanks to isaac for being on the show and thank you to you guys if you've gotten this far it was a real pleasure to have you And we'll catch you next time right here on the Free Ski Files.